Guys, how good was fat? Um, I'm stoked to be back with you, stoked to be back with the family, ready to dig into God's Word together. But I want to tell you the story of EV Youth. It started with six people studying God's Word in a lounge room. That was 16 years ago. One of those six was a guy called Daniel Godden. Okay? Now he, last year, left uh, here with a handful of people, went down to Wollongong and started a church there called Salt Church. Okay, now they've just celebrated their first birthday, and um, stuff's going well down at Salt Church. It's exciting. They've had 30 new people visit just over Easter, which is bigger, more new people in one weekend than they even brought down with them. And they've had 20 people join growth groups, which are like G-teams, and people are meeting Jesus, and it's just awesome. I'll tell you why that gets me excited, because um, that was one of the, just one of the first six And they taught him the Bible. And now he's teaching the Bible. And you just start to see the ripples going out, which just makes me really excited about what God might do with the people in this room as we study the Bible and where the ripples might go. From those first six kids, okay, um, EV Youth, or it was called CCEC Youth back then, it started to grow as people invited their friends. And so um, by the time Rhett came, if you know Rhett, that was 2002, it had grown to 40 people, which was cool. They were, um, they were hard days. There was a culture around youth groups at the time of like youth group shopping. They would just kind of work out which one was going to have the best activity that particular Friday night and go to that one. Um, they weren't really there to study the Bible. They were just there to hang out. And that made it really hard. It's hard to build real friendships if people are just picking their youth group based on what's going on. It's hard to do real discipleship. It's hard to teach the Bible. And so that was the question they wrestled with. How do you do real discipleship in a youth group? How do you really not just have a good time, but spend good to- as well as having a good time, spend good time in God's Word? How do you help teens to become genuine followers of Jesus living to please God? And that was the year that they started fat. The first fat, there were 40 or less than 40 young punks on fat. One of them was Jono, if you know Jono. He was in year 12 on that fat. And uh, Rhett remembers Jono complaining because it was survivor fat and they fed them rice. And so he was complaining. But let me tell you what happened on that fat. A bunch of kids teenagers met Jesus and a bunch were transformed. And so what happened was actually what's happened to the Peninjas right now. If you know this, we have a, another youth group, Peninsula EV Youth. Some of our leaders went and started a year ago with five people. Now they've got like 30 people, but it's crazy because not many of those 30 people are Christians, so it's like a bit out of control. But they took some, a bunch of them on fat and a, amazingly, about four or five of them became Christians. Which is just the best thing. And so now they're going back to term two of youth group with a group of people who are actually finally hungry for God's word and wanting to be discipled. It's exciting stuff. And that's what happened at the first fat. For the first time, people came back and they, were, they wanted to get into the Bibles, which meant that they actually came to youth every week. And they actually came to their G teams, which I'm hoping that you guys will all do. That you'll ask your leader, how do I connect with a G team? How do I commit? How do I grow? Just get involved, okay? Now, those days were hard work. They were, um, they were late nights. They were sleepless nights. But it was worth it because 
those 40 kids kept inviting their friends and it kept growing. In fact, 40 became 80 and then 80 became 160. Every three years, it doubled in size and it's doubled again and I kind of hope it doubles again. It'll be crazy, but it'll be cool. I remember 2007 really clearly. Uh, the guy leading at the time was Dave Myers, absolute legend. He shared with us Vision 4000. 4000 was chosen because there are actually 10 times that many people your age on Central Coast, 7 to 12. There are 40,000. And the vast majority of them uh, don't know Jesus. So um, they don't have any hope for eternal life. They're not going to go to heaven until they hear about Jesus. The idea is if we can reach 10% of them, 4,000, what that will mean is statistically everyone will know a Christian. And you can imagine how the good news will spread if everyone knows a Christian. So the idea is to get to 10% as a stepping stone to reaching the whole central coast with this good news. And so Dave, I remember him saying, can we be content with a youth group of 120 people, which is what it was at that time? No. We've got to see more people come because we've got to see more people hear the good news about Jesus. Well, that's what's happened. Jono started leading EV Youth in 2009. Um, and at that time, there were 160 uh, young punks coming here to read the Bible, to encourage each other. And this is now us three years later, twice that size. And, um, and we just had 335 of us on fat. You guys, your, your age. And the reason I'm telling you this story is because when you understand where we've come from, it helps you to understand who we are and where we're going. Who are we? We're a group of people that love the Bible. It's God's Word. And so we want to study it. We want to understand it. We want to learn about our God and what He wants from us. We're a group of people who are disciples of Jesus. Followers of him, trying to live for him. And we're a group of people that wants to see everyone else become disciples of him. And so uh, we want to bring our friends and we want to tell them. And we, we just want to tell them the news that if you trust in Jesus, you can have eternal life in heaven for free. And, and the other thing you learn as I tell you that, that history is that God is on about saving people and growing people. He saved me. He saved your leaders. And two weeks ago on fat, he saved, we don't know, but we guessed probably more than 40 people in one week, which is as many people in one week as there were even on the original fat. God has been so good to us, helping the gospel go out from six people to 336 people in 16 years. But guys, we are not a big youth group. Don't ever fall in a trap with that. We're a small youth group in a big community of people who need Jesus the Savior. And so that's what excites me. If that's what God has done until now, what might he do with the next 16 years or however long? And I don't know this, but I don't think the best years are behind us. I long, we long to see thousands of teens come to know Jesus as their Savior as radical disciples of Jesus, passionate about the glory of Jesus. That's who we are. Will you join us in that? Trusting that the God who has worked so amazingly to get us to here will just keep doing that work. 
we'll just keep doing what we've always done. He'll keep doing what he's done and he'll get the glory, we, we hope. Are you on board with that? That's what I'm going to pray as we, as we read the Bible now. God, thank you so much for what you have done. You are able to save. You are mighty. You are faithful. And God, we thank you that uh, you've been at work saving. We pray, please, that ripples will go out of here to the ends of the earth, not so that we would be praised or impressive. We're not. We know that. But so that you would be seen by all people for the God that you are. May you be magnified by the whole world. And God, I, I pray that right now you would teach us your word and start that in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I told you that because I want you to realize that if you want to get to know someone, you need to know their story. It's not enough just to know facts about someone. Red hair lives in Saratoga, goes to Henry Kendall. Not enough. To really know someone, you need to know their story. That's where you find out what a person's really like. And it's the same with God. Which is why, by the way, the Bible is not just an encyclopedia of facts about God. It's a book of stories about God. Did you know... um, When you become a Christian, you get grafted into a tree. You kind of get attached to a tree that's already there. A tree that's been around for a long time with many branches, really deep roots. A tree with a long history. We're kind of part of a family, the people of God. It's a family with a long history of dealing with God. And so, guys, I'm really pumped to study the book of Judges with you. Because in the book of Judges, you get a bunch of stories. And I'm pumped to learn from these stories um, all about what our God is like and what we as people are like. People say, isn't the Bible irrelevant? Some of these stories are like 3,000 years old. Well, the God they talk about has not changed. And you and I really aren't that different to the people back then. So these stories are all about us and they're all about our God. And what we see in these first two chapters, what we're going to see is that our God is the, the God who is all we need. We're going to see the God who is all we need. And we're also going to see something about us as humans. That we, as humans, are deeply sinful. That's human nature. That as humans, we repeatedly respond to God's goodness with disobedience. You know when you sometimes you catch someone else doing something and you think, hey man, that sucks. Don't do that. And then you realize you do the exact thing. Um, like, I'm not calling her out, but my sister left dirty dishes uh, all around the kitchen this week. And I was like, that sucks. Don't do that. And then suddenly I realized that's like, I've been doing that every day of my entire life. And suddenly I understand it from mom's perspective. Because mom and dad are away. I'm looking up the house. Well, that's what's going on here. We see another group of people, and it's awful what you see. The book of Judges is not a G-rated book. There's a part where a guy stabs a fat guy with a long sword. It goes all the way in, and the poo comes out. (laughs) That's in the Bible. (laughs) Anyone who says the Bible is boring hasn't read the right bits. But here's what happens, because Judges is a messy book, guys. It's a messy book and people read it and they go, wow, guys, people read it, they go, wow, God is evil because there's evil in here. They're missing the point. God's not the one doing those things. People are. And the whole point is you're supposed to look at it and go, wow, people are evil. 
and then realize that's not just them. That was generation after generation, actually. That's us as well. We do those things. That's what we're like. So as we read these stories of our people, our people, the people of God tonight, we're going to see that God is all we need, but also that we as people are sinful. We respond to God's goodness with disobedience. This is the introduction to the book of Judges, and it opens with that picture. God is all you need. I want you to finish this sentence in your head. All I need is in your head. You know the right answer because it's on there, but what would be your first thing to say? Money, enough money. All I need is friends. All I need is that guy or girl to like me. All I need is to have a good time. Well, we're going to see that actually it's God who is all you need. But let's tell this story. Get your Bibles out. Judges chapter 1, verse 1. And it starts with this. After the death of Joshua, this is a historical crisis. Because Joshua is their trusted leader. He led them into battles. Here's a story. And, um, and he just kind of, God had promised them this land. And he just would come in leading his people. And they would just take out everybody and they would get the land. It was great. They had victory after victory. But now their leader has died. And it's a crisis point. So verse 1, after the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, who will be the first to go up and fight for us against the Canaanites? Will God allow the Canaanites of the people in the land? Will God allow his plan to be stopped by the death of his servant? No way, Jose. Verse 2. The Lord answered, Judah is to go. That's one of the tribes of Israel. I have given the land into their hands. In verse 2, you see that God is all you need for guidance. Who should go, they ask. God says, Judah should go. God is all you need for guidance. And, and you see there, actually, he makes a promise to them. And it's meant to say, God is all you need for confidence. I have given the land into their hands. They don't need to be anxious. They've got God's promise. And he comes through on his promises. One of the amazing things you see in Judges and the whole Bible is that God is a man of his word. When God says he's going to do something, he does it. He backs up his words with actions. It's awesome. And so look at verse 4. When Judah attacked, the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hands. They won. And they struck down 10,000 men at Bezek. God gives them the victory in the battle against 10,000 men. Now, how can God be good and yet fight a battle and people die well we'll talk about that in a sec but catch the big point here god is all these people need for strength he's all they need for power they go to war they win because god is their strength and this is the big point of this whole section when israel look to their god he is all they need for guidance for confidence for for strength and when they trust him things are going well that's how this story starts. I'll tell you what it's a bit like. Iron Man 3, saw that last week. Epic movie. Probably, probably you guys are too young to see it. I'm not encouraging it, but it is a good movie. Um, I'll mess up the plot a bit here, but basically, I won't ruin it. I'm not going to ruin it. I'm not going to ruin it. I just want to tell you something about it, so you all just shush. Um, his... 
not, I'm not ruining the whole thing, but just in one part, his suit runs out of power. And when his suit runs out of power, this guy, he's nothing. He's just an ordinary guy. But then when his suit has power, he's not just an ordinary guy. He's Iron Man. He's got like computer-aided navigation and he's got like armor and he's got weapons. That's kind of like what God is like. <laughs> when, you, when you've got God, you've got all you need. When you've got God, you've got all you need. When his people trust him, he's kind of like that suit. They're sweet. And so they would be if they would only just look at him, look to God. And so before we move on, let me ask you, where do you put your confidence? Who do you look to for guidance? Where do you look to for strength? Because if you're anything like me, I look, I look to myself. I think if only I can be good enough. Maybe you look to your friends or your parents. Or Where do you look? Those things will let you down. Don't put your trust in them. Put your trust in the God who is all you need. This term, just remember that if you're a Christian, you have the God who is all you need. For guidance. How does God guide us today? Through the Bible. So read your Bible every day. Look, God, how do you want me to live? What things matter to you? He's all you need for guidance. He's all you need for confidence. And he's all you need for strength. When you're anxious, trust him. By the way, he doesn't, he's not like a genie in a bottle. So not everything that you want to happen, he'll do. He never promises that. But when you look at what he does promise, they're good things. One of the things he promises is that he will always do what's best for you. Not what you think's best for you, but what's actually best for you. So when all else falls away, you can trust him. You can trust God. He's all you need. That's how the story starts. And when Israel remembers that, it goes well. But the problem is they turn from him. So what you see next in the story is this. Here's the big point. This is what we're like. Humans, we respond to God's blessing with disobedience and it spirals downhill. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but this part of the Bible is hard to read. It's kind of like a geography textbook, all places and people's names and stuff. So the question is, is there stuff here for us? Well, in, in the Bible, there's a verse, 2 Timothy 3.16. It says this, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. So this is useful. There are lessons here for us. So what's the lesson? It's a lesson about human nature, about you and me. That we as humans respond to God's goodness with disobedience and it spirals downhill. And that's what you see in chapter 2. It's, it's the summary. It's the conclusion of this section. It says this. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgam to Botham and says, this is what God says, I brought you out of Egypt and led you into the land that I swore to give your fathers. I said, I'll never break my covenant with you. These are all promises and God has kept his promises. He's been faithful. But when God made those promises, he also gave them commands. Verse 2, and you shall not make a covenant, an agreement with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars, yet you've disobeyed me. Why have you done this? There's a conclusion. They disobeyed God. He said, 
Don't make agreements with the people who live in this land. In fact, break down their altars. Everywhere that they worship gods who aren't God, idols, break down the, the places. In fact, the, the command was, if you read um, Deuteronomy chapter 7, drive them out of the land altogether. In fact, destroy them. Now, here's the important thing to get. Is God evil to command that? Lots of people think he is. I'll give you two reasons why he's not. There's more to say. Number one, God gave them their life. So he can take it back. It's his. Number two, these aren't innocent people. These are wicked people. Deuteronomy 9 says it's because they were doing crazy evil. A lot of people say, why doesn't God put a stop to evil in the world? Well, here he does. He uses his people to put a stop to it. One day he'll put a stop to it all. Uh, we're waiting for that day of justice. But here what he does is he stops the evildoers. It's judgment. God gave them their life. They said, stuff you to that God who gave them life. So God says, okay, I'll have my life back. So it's not evil. It's just fair. These people are just getting what they deserved. Why was it so important to God that they didn't leave these nations in the land? It's because God knows what we're like as human beings, okay? Because those other nations did evil things. They worshipped other gods. And God knew that we or his people would be led astray by them, that they'd copy them. So I'll read out an example in Exodus 34. It says, Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land, for when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. You'll copy them. And this is quite relevant. When you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons, and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. See, God wants his people to be a holy people, which means different from the rest of the world, living for him. So he says, don't make agreements with the people. In fact, get rid of them. Get them out of the land because they'll just lead you astray. Which, guys, tells us something about ourselves. And there's a warning here for us. We need to be careful. Don't be influenced by the rest of the world. God wants us to be different to them, to live for him. So don't copy them. Don't worship their gods. Success, sport, money, sex, um, fun, myself, whatever. Not me, but yourself. Um, don't worship what the rest of the world worships. Don't copy their practices. Now, we're not told, obviously, to drive all the, the people who don't follow God out of the land. We, there's a bunch of reasons why it's different. But we should be careful who is in our lives. Have you ever noticed that people become like their closest friends? You ever notice that? Well, guys, make sure your closest circle of friends are the people that love God because they'll help you love God. I'll give you one now that is so important to me. Don't date non-Christians, okay? I've seen it happen time and time again. It's what God says will happen right here. You're making the most important person in your life someone who doesn't love the God who should be the most important person in your life. How do you think that's going to go? Well, I've seen it over and over again. doesn't end well. They lead you away from God. If you love God, find someone who's going to help you to love God, someone who already loves God, and share that together. That's the best thing. Don't date non-Christians. It won't help. 
oh, you think I'll be different. I just, from my heart, I want you to know it's not. It's almost never different. Um, guys, be careful what movies and music you watch and listen to. Not because we need to be monks and shield our eyes from everything, but because often they do influence us. And so we want to be careful. Is that helping me love God more? Because we know from these warnings that God wants his people to be different and he knows that we're easily led astray. That's why God said, drive out the people from the land, but here's what happened. They disobeyed. And so you see it repeatedly time and time again. Verse 27, Manasseh, that's a tribe. Manasseh didn't drive out the people. Verse 29, nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites. Verse 30, neither did Zebulun. All these tribes of God's people. And actually, if you're paying attention in that chapter, it just gets worse and worse and worse. They disobey God. They disobey God. They disobey God. It's just this downward spiral. They could have obeyed. Verse 28 says that they actually became strong enough to put them into forced labor, into slavery. If you can put someone into slavery, you can kick them out of your land, but they didn't. And so that's the point. They just repeatedly, deliberately disobey God. And here's the lesson. It's a lesson about human nature. As humans, we respond to God's blessing with disobedience. And I wonder if you see that in your life, because I do. This is a story of my life. Time after time, day after day, I sin against God. I disobey Him. And that's the point, the whole point of the book of Judges. It actually just gets worse after this. It actually downward spirals all the way to the end of the book. And the point is, when you get to the end of it and you're like, that was depressing reading. That was exhausting. That was tiring. And that's because that's what God feels when he looks. That's tiring. That's exhausting. That's this again, this again. And so in God's eyes, we as humans are not basically good. We're basically bad. So here's the point if you've never heard this before. We're sinful and we need a saviour. You could boil the whole book of Judges down into these four points shown over and over again in story after story. If you learn these four points this term, you've got it. Humans respond to God's blessing with sin. God hates sin and punishes it. God is angry. Oh, no, God has mercy. I don't have my glasses on. God has mercy on his people. And when they cry out to him, he saves them. But the salvation he provides is imperfect and the, sal- the saviors are imperfect. And so it all points to our need for a perfect savior. There's the big point. If you remember nothing tonight, listen to this. Here's the point. We suck, but God still saves. Jesus is the savior. Guys, thank God that he gives us Jesus. Because we are so, so sinful and we can't save ourselves. But Jesus saves. In Jesus, you can be forgiven. You can be saved. The passage ends in verse, chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. The people weep and they go home and they sacrifice to God. And you think, this is good. It's good that they're sad that they've sinned. It's good that they sacrifice. But it leaves them with this question. Do they go home and burn their idols and change their ways? Do they change? It just leaves it hanging. The rest of the book shows they don't. They don't learn. They don't change. And so, guys, I want to leave you with this. 
tears aren't enough. It's not enough just to feel sorry. Will you go home and change? Did you come back from fat like, yep, I'm going to make changes. I'm going to live my life for God. I haven't been doing it. Have you changed? Tonight, are you thinking, man, I need to live more for God. I need to trust Jesus as my Savior. Have you changed? We need, to, we need to take these things on board. Trust God. He's all you need. We are sinful. We need a Savior. Jesus is the Savior. How good is that? Let me pray. God, thank you so much that you sent a Savior, Jesus, because we see in here just how much we need it. We're like this. We're sorry. Thank you that you save. Amen.